And again, turn with me tonight to Luke 13. For the home folks, you know that I'm doing a little, a little mini-series over the, uh, the past few weeks and the coming few weeks on Sunday evening when I'm in the pulpit uh, on the Christian life. And uh, in, in light of uh, recent uh, findings concerning the state of the church, I won't rehearse all those tonight. I'll reference them some. But we continue this as week three, or uh, installment three, rather, as we began with the first one, talking about how important doctrine is and how important it is to have doctrine and practice closely aligned. Last week, we talked about the problem with both getting doctrine right and getting our practice right, having our orthodoxy and orthopraxy in tune. And that's, in summary, sin. And those great, great promoters of sin in our lives, the world, the flesh, and the devil. We looked at that last week from Ephesians chapter 2, the first few verses. Tonight, we want to pick up with what the proper answer to sin is in our lives, in the life of the church. This is a wonderful place to go for that. Luke 13, God's inerrant word. Follow along again. I'll read those first nine verses. There were some present at that very time who told him, Jesus, about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, look, for three years now, I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he, the vine dresser, answered him, sir, let it alone this year also until I dig round it and put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. Again, may God bless the reading and hearing of his word. Let's pray. Lord, we ask you to give us eyes to see spiritually, ears to hear your voice. May we be convicted, convinced, and may we turn in hatred of sin and in lively faith to follow you more closely. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as I just said, we saw last week the world, the flesh, and the devil. They're great enemies. They're sinful, and they leaven everything, including Christians, if we're not diligent in fighting against them, putting off, as Paul commands us to do, and putting on righteousness. Um, once these enemies are defined, that's when we have to act in the first 
act, the first step in our action is repentance. I'll never forget preaching, uh, actually from this passage, in 1990. And afterwards, this lady, a godly lady in our church in Memphis, came up to me and she said, I was so convicted. I've heard about repentance all my life. And until tonight, I don't know, I didn't know what it really was. I thought repentance, she said, was simply changing your mind. Well, that's wrong. Better not do that again. But she said, that is part of it, but that's not all of it. And I said, no, ma'am, that's not at all all of it. And you never know. There might be someone here tonight that doesn't really know what repentance is. And so they've been partially repenting, but not fully repenting of their sins. And that could explain from time to time why we end up struggling with the same sin over and over again. is because we never really fully repented of it. We just sort of kind of repented of it. Our catechism defines repentance as an evangelical grace. Evangelical tells us that it's part of the gospel, right? That's what the word evangelical is. That's what it means. It's part of the evangel. It's part of the good news. Grace, that means it's a gift. So it's part of the good news. It's a gift. And when you put those together, it means it's not optional. It's mandatory. The good news is mandatory. Grace is mandatory. No hope without them. They're not optional. Repentance is part of the good news. It's the life-changing aspect of the gospel. Now this passage, chapter 13, comes. Now hang on. This is revolutionary. Chapter 13 comes after 12. And the end of chapter 12 really just kind of flows into 13. That's the context for chapter 13, verse 1. There were some present at that very time. What's the time? Well, he's told them that he didn't come to bring peace. He came to bring division in the house. There will be, there will be father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. He also said to the crowds, When you see a cloud rising, you're wise enough to observe and you know what kind of cloud it is. And if you see see wind and storm in it, you make appropriate provisions. You, You change what you're doing. Anybody ever been in that case? You're out. You know, you see it all the time, don't you, in sporting events? middle of a game no one's heard anything yet maybe a distant rumble and all of a sudden the the officials call the call the guys off the field because the storm's coming they they read the clouds 
they see what's coming, they get them out safely. Jesus says the same thing. You're smart enough to do that. You know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? He's talking about himself. How are you not reading me rightly? Why do you not judge what's right? And then he goes and tells this whole story. As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge and the judge hand you over to the officer and the officer put you in prison. I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the very last penny. Deal with your situation. Don't let your situation just go on. That's the way some people deal with, with life, isn't it? Well, I think I'll just see, see how it turns out tomorrow. That doesn't usually work out very well. And then we do it with our sin, and that's where Jesus goes next. We do the same thing with our sin. Well, let's just see. Let's see how this, how this goes. And so there were some there at the time, and they tell Jesus something, and he uses that then as the occasion to teach them about repentance. And so the very first thing we need to know is that repentance is what we need to both rebound from sin and then to avoid sin in the future. And we would talk about the church corporately, not just individual Christians, but the church corporately. We need the same thing. And one of the things we do not see, based on all that we're learning, what we see actually in meeting people, we see in, in the, the condition of churches today, but we see in these, in these surveys that we've referenced. I've gone back to the 2016 Barna report. Doctrine is not, not altogether that important to evangelicals and it doesn't influence how they practice. Then we come to 2022 and we look at the recent Ligonier Lifeway research data that comes in and now the doctrine's not even good. Our doctrine in the basic Average evangelical church, they found, is no better than the average person on the streets, theology. That's just mind-blowing to me. I get back to one of those questions of mine. If I didn't believe any more than most people that go to church, I wouldn't go to church. I'd learn how to play golf. And I'd spend the morning at the golf course. Or I'd go to Nashville and watch the Titans play. Or I would, you know, what's, what would be the purpose of what we're doing here if we didn't believe? The state of the church is sad and the only thing that's gonna cure it is repentance. Repentance of bad doctrine, repentance of bad practice. These four points that you see in the outline are a good place to start. So let's, do, let's go there. The first, what's the predicament of repentance? In other words, what's the situation that demands our repentance? And the answer easily is sin, right? That's the bad situation we're in. Sin predicates repentance. There were some there and they said, hey, have you heard about Do you think these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans? We can fall in the same trap, can't we? 
hurricanes come. It hits these areas and we look and we see these areas are, are, are just are, are debauched areas. Sin is rampant. A few years ago, New Orleans was wiped out. You know, humanly speaking, if you read your Bible, you can kind of understand why God would do that. That's about as wicked a city as there is in the world. And then, though, here's the problem. It's okay to assess things properly. Here's the problem, though, we get into. As soon as we say that, then we say, well, it didn't come on up through Tennessee because we're not as bad as they are. Or they got a lighter version up in Alabama because that's the heart of Dixie. Of course, God kept them safe. I mean, just be honest. Sometimes we let our minds drift into those kind of comparative analyses, right? And Jesus puts a stop to that. He said, do you think these were worse sinners than all the Galileans? Nope, he says. I tell you, unless you repent, you all will likewise perish. He puts him in the same category. It's easy for us to think of the, as I said this morning, the new members class, easy for us to think of the Putins of this world as being really depraved. They are totally depraved. Saddam Hussein's, the North Korean president. On and on we could go. But the fact is, we're equally depraved. And that's what Jesus is saying. Every Galilean is in the same predicament. They're sinners. Do you understand? Do you understand that every sin is an affront to God? Every sin is treason against God's high standards. And we have to remember that even if, if, if we only sinned one sin... And let's, let's, let's say it was a, 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 a white sin, not one of those big, bad, dark ones. We'd still deserve hell. It's easier for us to think about the acting out of sin. But don't ever forget, we have sinful hearts. We're born with a sin nature. We deserve damnation at conception. Because we all inherit the sinful nature. We're guilty and we're corrupt. There's where Jesus goes. Nope. The folks at Siloam, they were they were. They were bad, sure. They were offenders. We're all offenders. Everyone deserves perishing, damnation, hell, unless you repent. That's the first thing. That's the predicament. Sin. We saw that last week. We won't belabor that. Next, though, notice what the proper posture of repentance is. It's abandonment. Verse 3, unless you repent. In other words, unless you turn away from that, You'll get the same thing. You'll get the same sort of treatment. Only worse, eternal damnation. That was just temporal, right? 
What happened in Galilee? What happened in Siloam? That was temporal judgment. But there's a worse judgment coming. That's on that last day. When our sins are revealed. And the Lord says, nope, I don't know you. Hell. Nope, don't know you. Hell. And then for those blessed ones who are in Christ Jesus, yes, mine, enter into the bliss of heaven. The proper attitude towards sin is one of abandonment, to run from it. Repentance is judging rightly your condition and turning to the one who can change you. That was the problem in the latter verses of chapter 12. He told them they weren't judging properly the situation. They did a better job judging the world around them, the natural phenomena around them, than they did their own hearts. That should convict all of us. Because it's easy for all of us to judge others. We won't have to go to the natural world, observing this, observing that. We can just go to the way we look at other people and we say, no hope. They need to repent. Well, so do we. Each of us. We say that every Sunday morning in the corporate prayer of, of sin, don't we? They were all in the same boat. We've all sinned. All these categories of sin. Jesus says, hey, don't get into this thing of you've not done it physically. If you've thought it, you're just as guilty. We need to abandon our thoughts that are against God. We need to abandon our deeds that are against God. God, we've got a great illustration here. You know, uh, Paul, Paul first said uh, that's part of what he preached was repentance toward God. Say, wow, wait a minute. We've been saying repentance is turning away from sin, abandoning sin. Yeah, but then you got the uh, repentance toward God. If repentance is a complete turnaround, changing the mind, Thinking, oh, that was good, that was satisfactory, that was, that was fun, that was thrilling, that was really satisfying, whatever. And we turn from that because we see it's against God. What's the opposite direction of sin but God and righteousness and holiness? So Paul preached repentance toward God. And we see a great, great illustration of repentance in Hebrews chapter 11, by faith, we're told, Abraham, listen to what Abraham did by faith. And here's where we see the close connection of faith and repentance. Sometimes you hear theologians say they're just flip sides of the coin. Faith and repentance. It's hard. You can't distinguish, hard to distinguish. You can't separate them, certainly. You may distinguish them, but you can't separate them. Faith and repentance go hand in hand. If you believe in God, you'll turn from sin. Turn from sin to faith in God. We're told Abraham, quote, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he left, not going, not knowing where he was going. He went. That's repentance. He was in Ur of the Chaldees. 
he was living this lifestyle. God said, turn from that and go here. That's what he did. Faith and repentance follow Christ in abandoning sin. But there's more to repentance than just abandoning sin. We've already touched on it, but now we're going to go to the parable where Jesus fleshes it out. We see the product of repentance. Once we've abandoned sin, we have to pursue righteousness. We have to replace that sin with something. You remember back in chapter 11 of Luke, if you've read Luke recently, you, you may recall in chapter 11, he tells this to the people. He says after he's cast out demons, when a strong man fully armed guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes, him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. Whoever's not with me, he says, is against me. And then he says this, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person... It passes through waterless places seeking rest and finding none, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. It goes, it brings seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first state. What's Jesus' point? It's not enough simply to clean up your life. Some of you know people like that. You've talked to them about Christ. You've talked to them about the need for salvation. You've talked to the need of faith. And they say, well, you know what? You don't know the kind of life I live. Uh, if, 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 when I clean up my life, then I'll, then, then I'll, I'll think about it. And what you and I know is they can't. They can't clean up their life. And here Jesus is saying, here, you, 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 this man, he's been cleansed from an evil spirit. And he sweeps up a little. He, he puts things back in order where the spirit's been, been rampaging. But that's all he does. He just deals with the sin. But he doesn't pursue righteousness. He doesn't fill the void he doesn't put something good in its place. And the good, of course, is Christ Jesus. So Jesus, in chapter 13, knowing that we might not know what repentance is fully, that we may think it's just, okay, I know I need to get rid of my sin... He says, no, there's more to it than getting rid of your sin, more to it than dealing with sin. As necessary as that is, there's more that's equally necessary. He told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. He came seeking fruit on it and found none. He said to the vine dresser, look, three years now. I've been coming for fruit. There's none. Cut it down. Vine dresser says, let's, let's go one more year. Let me fertilize more, put manure around it. In a year from now, if it's not bearing fruit, you can cut it down. It's yours to deal with. The vine dresser was smart. He knew who owned the tree. 
the whole point is a tree is to bear fruit. Listen. Listen to what Jesus said. There is no good tree that bears bad fruit. Nor again a bad tree that bears good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. People do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they pick grapes from a briar bush. The good person out of the good storehouse of his heart brings forth what is good. And the evil person out of the evil treasure brings forth what is evil. For his mouth speaks from the abundance of heart. But focus on that. There is no good tree that bears bad fruit. A bad tree that bears good fruit. Doesn't exist. What's this got to do with the repentance? Well, you don't just repent turning away from sin, but then you, you're to bear good fruit. You're to bear the fruit of righteousness. What are some of those good fruit that we'll be bearing? Jesus said that among Christians, some will bear 60%, some will bear 100%. People bear fruit variously, just like a tree. Some of you have fruit trees, perhaps, or grapevines, muscadines, scuppernong. And you know that they bear variously from year to year sometimes. But they bear fruit. That's what they're made for. We're saved by God to bear fruit. The chief of all the fruit we're to bear is worship. We're told that in John chapter 4. This is why God seeks worshipers. Or rather, why he seeks us so that we might worship him in spirit and truth. But there's more. Obedience to God's word in general, keeping the Lord's day, setting it apart from the other six, speaking the truth in love. And that's always going to include telling people about the Lord. Perhaps saying in their presence when they misuse God's name, look, I'm a Christian. I realize I can't tell you what to say or do. But in my presence, please don't blaspheme the name of my Lord. Speaking the truth in love. Disciplining your children. That's bearing good fruit. Sometimes it might include the rod. Sometimes it might include a word of of verbal discipline. Sometimes withholding something. As parents, that's one of the fruits you bear is disciplining your children. Prayer. Bible reading, as I said to start with, corporate worship. These are all the fruit of righteousness. And if we're Christians, that's the kind of fruit that will be on our tree. The Christian bears the fruit of repentance, the fruit of faith. But notice... It's not just about abandoning sin, but it's about producing good fruit. That's repentance. But did you notice the sad part about this parable is that if there is no fruit, 
then it comes down. And you notice the vineyard keeper knows he ultimately is not the one to make the judgment. It's the owner of the vineyard. Who's the owner, owner of the vineyard? Well, that's, that's God. The Lord Jesus Christ is the great vineyard owner, the vine dresser. And the symbolism here of cutting it down is destroy it, be done with it. What would they do when they cut down a, ba- a tree in a, in a beautiful field? Oh, we used to live in South Carolina. Many, many peach orchards around us. And you'd go, and they would prune, and they would cut out the dead, and they would cut the dead trees out, or the trees that had gotten old and quit bearing, whatever the reason, they cut them out. And you would see down at the corner of the field somewhere, big pile of the trees that they'd cut, and they piled them up. They're going to have a huge bonfire. They were going to be burned to destruction. There are apple orchards in North Carolina and South Carolina. Same thing. Year after year, you see the trees that don't bear fruit taken down and burned. That's the imagery Jesus is bringing into this. Sin comes. It has to be dealt with. If it's not dealt with, then God will deal with us. And his attribute of righteousness and holiness will vent itself in in wrath against those who do not deal with their sin and do not bear fruit in Christ Jesus. We know that fruit bearing is a product of the Holy Spirit in our life, right? We read about it, the fruit of the Spirit. So then you look and you say, but if there's no fruit, then that means I, I, the Spirit's not at work in my life. And if the Spirit's not working in your life, that means that Christ has not asked the Father for the Father to send the Spirit, as we've been seeing in John chapter 14. Much of the gospel I hear today on radio is repentance light. By that I mean there's little if any repentance and usually if it's if it's said it's just said in the in the sense of you need to change what you're doing you need to turn away from your sin well as i've said that's that's good that's necessary that's 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 an imperative from god but equally so is the bear fruit be a good fruit tree the lord said a good tree bears good fruit A good tree cannot bear bad fruit. A bad tree cannot bear good fruit. We so often whitewash the Christian life with a false view of grace that makes salvation out to be something like a cloud with no rain in it. You remember? The book of Jude talks about those who are false professors that way. That they're like clouds with no water. They're fake. They look like a cloud. But there's nothing there. There's no no fruit that falls forth from them. 
the Christian life begins with repentance, and that repentance goes on. If there's a lesson from the Reformation that we get, it's that. Luther discerned that early on. He grew up in a church that had the view of of repentance that was this. It's a one-time thing. You do it one time for good. As he read his Bible, he came to realize, no, wait a minute. We're to be repenting all the time. This is over and over, over, just like we need grace every day. The grace gift of repentance will be with it. And we'll be repenting because we're going to sin and we need to repent. And when we repent, we turn away, we abandon that sin, we turn to something, we put something in it, or else, as Jesus said, if we don't put something good in its place, the sin will come back and it'll come back worse. It'll be worse in us and for us. So the question for us tonight is, are we a good tree? Are we bearing good fruit? That would mean that we're, we're living a repentant life. So you say, boy, that's convicting. Well, the place to start, of course, is where we have been speaking tonight with repentance. Turn away from their sin. Turn to God. Trust him for all, of he, all that he said. Trust him for his son whom he sent. And live under righteousness. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the clarity. For Jesus' clear words, unless you repent, you will perish. No one is more sinner than other in the sight of a holy, holy, holy God. But not only that is clear, we're to, we're to bear fruit, the fruit of righteousness. Give us a zeal to hate sin and a zeal to love righteousness and pursue it. And in all this, we'll give Christ the praise. Amen.